Welcome to Primal Christianity. We have a really great show for you today, but before we get into that, if you have a story, a testimony, or a supernatural experience that you would like to discuss with me on this show, then please reach out to me, primalchristianity at yahoo.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview I had with Richie Lewis, who runs the Dream Center in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where we discuss taking authority the Spirit of God, prayer, miracles, and so much more. So if you're ready, stay tuned. Here we go. Okay, everyone, welcome to Primal Christianity, and I have Richie Lewis here, and he runs the Dream Center in Harrisburg, correct? That's correct, yep. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and he's just going to share with us today um, what his ministry is, how it started, what the mission is, and what God has been doing. Um, God's been doing some healing. He's been doing salvation and miracles. And it sounds like the supernatural is at work in Harrisburg at the Dream Center. Mm-hmm. And we want to just delve into that. And we want to show that God is still working today because there's many people that believe that miracles and uh, a lot of the amazing things that happened in the New Testament just stayed there. And I fully believe and know that they have not. So, without further ado, Richie, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Yeah. Hey, my name's Richie Lewis. As Micah said, I run the Capital Area Dream Center in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, we uh, we started this ministry in January of 2018. So we're coming up on about six years now. Okay. And so, how did the Dream Center start? Sure. Yeah. 2008 um, is kind of when uh, the conception. Uh, kind of started, uh, the Lord gave us a dream and, uh, I actually remember waking up in the morning, uh, and, uh, in the dream, the Lord basically said, you're supposed to start a dream center in Harrisburg. And I woke up and I, I had no clue what a dream center was. And I, I actually went to the computer and I Googled, uh, dream center and I found this ministry called the Los Angeles dream center. So, uh, maybe some some people listening to the podcast have heard of the Los Angeles Dream Center. Usually, when I go to churches and speak, I'll ask how many have heard of Los An- of the Los Angeles Dream Center. About fifty percent of the people say they have. But uh, so I saw the Los Angeles Dream Center, and I was like very impressed with their ministry. Um, it's basically like a one stop shop that meets all sorts of different needs uh, in Los Angeles. And I was like, man, that does seem like something I would like to start. And uh, I basically had some confirmations. I had a, a, a guy named Bob Hazlitt, uh, who's very prophetic, come to church one time and he called me out and he didn't know me. I didn't know him. He knew nothing about the dream that I had. and He prophesied that I'd start a dream center in Harrisburg. So so uh had a lot of cool confirmations, um, but it took nine years uh, from conception to reality. So the dream happened in 2008. I think it was December 2008. But the Dream Center didn't start until January 2018. 
Um, so it was kind of a long, long time, uh, long wait. And, uh, you know, I will be honest and tell you there were times during that nine year period of time um, between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise where I was like, I never doubted. I never wavered in my, you know, in, in what God had told me. But I kind of wondered, OK, when when is this going to happen? Like, is it, is it going to happen when I'm like 80 years old, you know? Um, and so um, I, I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when and I didn't know how because I had no clue um, how to start, you know, start up this ministry. Um, so I would say it was 2016, December 2016, uh, eight years after the dream, the initial conception of the uh, vision, uh, when I finally got my first breakthrough. And um, I'll try to make a really long story short. I met a lady who came to an outreach with me because I was still leading outreaches. I've been leading outreaches since, you know, early 2000s. Had a lady come out and she had just moved here from Nevada. Never met her before. And she emailed me the next day after coming to the outreach and said, hey, I love your outreach. Have you ever started? Have you ever thought of starting up a dream center in Harrisburg? (laughs) And so uh, I was like, yeah, I've been thinking about this for eight years. And she said, well, do you want to meet sometime? I've got some practical pointers for you on how you can do that. And so she basically, it ended up that she actually helped her friend start what's called the Northern Nevada Dream Center. And uh, she ended up moving out here. You know, she gave me some very solid practical advice on how to start a Dream Center. She actually connected me with the Los Angeles Dream Center. And I found out that they have a national network of Dream Centers. And so um, I reached out to them. And there was a long process of becoming a part of their national network of dream centers. You know, I had to fill out an application, send in some pastoral references, a bunch of stuff. Actually flew out there. I gave them a five-year business plan, flew out there, met them, got a tour of the Los Angeles Dream Center. And uh, before I knew it, I was approved to become a part of their national network of dream centers. And then I started fundraising, which is another you know, another story for another day, maybe. But yeah, I, I hated the idea. I think part of the reason why it took me so long to start the Dream Center is because I hated the idea of fundraising. I started I started doing it, even though I hated it. And soon enough, we raised the money and I became full time at the same time we bought the building and moved in, which was January of 2018. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's yeah, really that's a, there's a lot more to it, but I'm trying to make it short. But no, yeah, that, that's fine. No, so, that's great. But so yeah. uh, we just talked about you told us about the Dream Center and mm-hmm. uh, how it started. But what is the Dream Center? So like for me, yep. I've been following you on Facebook um, mm-hmm. for quite a few years, just as like a, a you know third party, just watching the progress and seeing your testimonies. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of the Dream Center before. So yep. for me, it was a mm-hmm. whole new thing. And like you said, I'm sure like there's people out there that you've spoken to that do know about it. But for me, so let's explain it to someone who has no idea. What is yeah. the Dream Center? What is your mission? I can sum it up with basically like this. Our mission is to reach people for Jesus and meet practical needs. You know, our desire would be to meet every single need that presents itself in the city of Harrisburg, which is a tall order, a tall task. Basically, that's what we do. We, we meet needs, practical needs, and we reach people for Jesus. And, you know, basically how we go about doing that is uh, we have weekly outreaches. And uh, every Saturday, uh, we have every Saturday morning, uh, we, do, we do several things. So some of the ways we meet practical needs, we have a clothing bank on the second and third floor of our building. We give out free clothing and hygiene supplies. That sounds very simple, very basic, but you wouldn't believe like some of the testimonies. Is it okay if I just share one quick testimony? No, go right ahead. From the clothing bank. So this guy, we've had this happen actually several times, similar things like this happen. 
So we're located right outside of a, like right next to a bus stop. And so periodically throughout the day, we'll have a bus come and just drop a bunch of people off right in front of our building. And one day I was outside and the bus comes, drops a bunch of people off. And uh, this guy's sitting there staring up at our building, just looking at it. And he says, what is this place? I said, it's the Dream Center. And I explained what we do. And he said, oh, he's like, uh, I told him about the clothing bank. He said, do you have size 12 steel-toed boots? He said, I just got out of prison three days ago. And he said, I was able to get a job, but I can't start until I get size 12 steel-toed boots. And I was like, well, that's a very specific request. I said, we, you know, we we're not like a big department store. You know, we rely on donations, but let's go up and check. And we go up and lo and behold, there's a size, uh, there's one pair of size 12 steel-toed boots. And we were able to give this man those those steel-toed boots so he could start his job the next day. And you would have thought you gave the man the world. And so we, we see stuff like that happen, you know, um, all the time at our clothing bank. And uh, how we actually started the clothing bank was we, we wanted to do a food bank. But we had the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank come in to see if they wanted to partner with us. And they actually said, we can't partner with you. And I said, why? And he said, there's too many, there's too many food banks in your zip code. There's a food bank on every corner. And so he said, we, we won't partner you because there's already too many. And so I started to do some research and kind of look around and see what is the greatest area of need in, in this area of the city. And it was clothing and hygiene supplies. So that's kind of how we started that up. But that's just one thing we do. We have a free cafe every Saturday where we give out free, uh, we do a free hot meal and people can come and, you know, eat and get prayer and ministry. And then, uh, we do evangelistic street outreaches every Saturday where we pray for the sick and share the gospel. We see people healed and saved almost every single Saturday. And then we disciple these people throughout the week through, um, we have a worship service every Tuesday where we have worship, a message, and then we have a nice home cooked meal and we just have fellowship after the service. And then every Thursday we have a Bible study and then a prayer meeting. So I'm a firm believer that prayer should be the backbone of every single ministry, every single church. Um, and uh, so we focus every Thursday, you know, praying for, for our neighborhood, praying for the city. So, you know, meeting needs, reaching people for Jesus. And those are some of the things we do. Um, we also have big, big block parties every June. Uh, we do backpacks and school supply giveaways throughout uh, in August, right before the kids go back to school. Uh, we have Christmas toy, a Christmas toy giveaway in December. So those are some of the ways we meet needs and reach people. So well, that's, that's fantastic. And you know, a couple of thoughts come to my mind while you're, uh, speaking about this. And I know that I've seen some of the giveaways and things that you've done through your Facebook mm-hmm. posts. But my first thought is, you know, a lot of people like to just use their words. Like, you know, they'll preach at people and tell them, you know, you mm-hmm. need to get saved. You know, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. there, there's a time and a place for, for things like that. Sure. But I believe it's in the book of James, if I'm not mistaken, where it says, I will show you my faith by my works. Amen. And, you know, yeah. Jesus said, you know, there's no true religion is what? It's it's a ministry to widows and orphans. That's right. And, and, you know, it sounds like you're doing that. And sometimes just like the steel toe boots, you know what, that man, he may not have been willing. And I I don't know beyond the testimony you share, but sometimes people aren't willing to hear what you have to say until you show them that you love them. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that people are, you know, I've done all sorts of, uh, used all sorts of different methods of evangelism and reaching people. And I will tell you um, that by far, when you meet people's needs, they are far more receptive to what you have to say to them. And so, you know, this is, we're doing this because we do want to meet people's needs, but it also serves another purpose and, and they become more open to the gospel too. You know, when, when, when they're fed, when they're clothed, 
And when their needs are met, they know that you care. And so they are more open to hearing what you have to say and, and letting you speak into their lives too, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's much like in the book of Acts. It said that they gave a daily distribution, you know, to, mm-hmm. to the widows and to those who needed it. You know, it says, you know, that in the early church, he went from house to house eating, giving thanks to God. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just them sitting and singing songs. You know, it was a real mm-hmm. thriving community. Mm-hmm. And that sounds a lot like what you are, what you have there. Um, yeah. Now for all of you out there listening who don't know this, um, I did go to Elam Bible Institute in Lima, New York, which is near Rochester. And Richie here was two years ahead of me. He was a senior when I was a freshman. So I did know him a little bit, not very well, but I knew who he was. So Richie, you'll, you'll be familiar with this, but what this, what you're saying reminds me of Nysum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yep. Cause I remember we, everyone who goes to Elam in the two and three year programs, um, during your junior year, the second year, you are required to go with your whole class to NISM, which is the New York School of Urban Ministry in uh, Queens, New York. And you do a lot of what sounds like you're doing, Richie, is um, showing people that you love them. They send you out to, you know, do soup kitchens and children's ministries and block parties and preaching and teaching and, and you know, like a mixed bag. Yep. And what you're doing, actually, it just sounds like it reminds me a lot of what we did at NISM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had a blast at NISM. Yeah, we. I, I remember. I remember we we were there for uh, the first semester, junior year, and uh, I think we'd minister like six days a week, Monday through Saturday, like sun up to sundown, and then Sunday was our day off, and we went to church twice or something like that. That's that my recollection, but it was an amazing time for sure. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, I, I actually, I know some people didn't like it, but I absolutely loved it. I actually mm-hmm. fell in love. I I want. I wanted to stay there. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. it's funny. At the time, I was not good at stand, speaking in front of people. Like I didn't mm-hmm. like to preach nothing. I, I like to just kind of sit in the back, you know, and mm-hmm. I'll never forget this one experience. I'm just going to share it really quick. Sure. But my team and I were coming back from a ministry and we were on the train, the subway or whatever. And, um, I, my team lead has guitar with him. So he just got out and started goofing around on it. You know, someone playing guitar on a subway train, it's, it's not unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the girls started to sing along and before you knew it, they started to worship. And it was really powerful because the, the people on the other side of the car were just kind of started to stare at us like, what is going on? And I felt, and I know it was the Holy Spirit. It was, it was God. And he's just like, you need to stand up and give your testimony. And I'm like, uh-uh. Wow. Like, nope. <laughs> I wanted to sit here and try and look, you know, insignificant. And I just could not fight it. It was like, you know, like that REO Speedwagon. I can't fight this feeling anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I stood up and I just, I don't even remember everything I said, but I just <laughs> gave my testimony. I said, we are students from Elon Bible Institute and I had a captive audience. It was my first wow. real street preaching, honestly. And, uh, I, you know what? It was terrifying, but at the same <laughs> time, I've been told by people, you know what? You never know something you said. There could have been mm-hmm. someone who was touched by that. And that's why it's so yeah. important, you know, that some not only that we be the words of the Lord, but we be his hands and feet too, because you never know what a simple gesture such as giving yeah. something to someone in need or telling them how much the Lord loves them can really impact them and change yeah. their lives. Um, but anyway, just, just really, really quick, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Mike, you just, you just uh, kind of springboarding off of that. Like, I remember going out to uh, Rochester, New York one time when I was a student at Elam and we'd often do street ministry on the weekends. and. And, and just, I just said this one simple phrase to a lady as she passed me. I just said, Jesus loves you. And she stopped and she started breaking down and just started crying. And, uh, had a conversation with her after that, found out she was a prostitute 
and she ended up giving her life to the Lord. And it was just from a simple phrase, Jesus loves you. That one little phrase can make such an impact on people. You know what? It's, I don't want to keep going on this, but man, I just yeah. thought of another thing. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, you know, many of you may know out there of, of my testimony. Um, I have shared it before, but when my wife and I were briefly, were separate, I say briefly, but yeah. um, we were separated. I, uh, we were living down near Philly at the time and I needed something to just take my mind off of what I was going through and the emotions I was feeling. And so I got my cousin and another gentleman from our church. And the three of us went to Philly one day because I said, well, we're going to do an outreach. We're going to hand out McDonald's gift cards, like $5 gift cards. Mm-hmm. And I, I had been to Philly several times. So I knew a lot of areas where the homeless congregated in this one vicinity near Center City. And I got McDonald's gift cards. We got like um, gloves because it was start. It was fall. We got socks, toothbrush, toothpaste, like just like a goodie mm-hmm. bag. So like, you know. If they wanted to help, you know, get a job or something, you know, they could clean themselves up a little bit and also just something to keep them warm. And then a $5 gift card so they could go get a meal at a McDonald's and have somewhere warm to sit at least for one meal, you know? Yeah. Um, and we would give them to them and, and just share the gospel with them. And there was this one gentleman and he was blind. I think his name was Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And I still remember him sitting there and we just asked if we could pray for him. And so we just laid our hands on him and he said, yeah, pray for me. So we prayed. And the coolest part was, you know, in, in Philly, and I'm, I don't know how it is in Harrisburg, but New York City and Philly, if you're down on the sidewalk, people don't notice you. You could be down ministering to a homeless person. They're going to think you're homeless. They don't even look at you. Mm-hmm. They just keep walking. Mm-hmm. So we're praying. And before I knew it, I opened my eyes and I look up and there's these two women and they are just crying watching us. Wow. <laughs> and as we got up, they're like, you know what? Thank God bless you. They're like, yeah. no one like to see you doing this is so encouraging to us. Mm-hmm. You know, like the fact that you're here, like, and you know, it's not, it's not about me. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. you should be giving, like Paul, the apostle said, if you see anything good or noteworthy or praiseworthy in me, give glory to God. Because as people, we're all sinners, yeah. but the Lord does amazing things through us. And you know what? I don't know whatever happened to that gentleman. I hope he got his eyesight back. I hope he gave his life to the mm-hmm. Lord. But our faithfulness and actions of doing what we did and praying for him encouraged other people who were obviously mm-hmm. believers, but it like it made their day like to see, mm-hmm. wow, people are actually doing this, you know? Exactly. So that's why the doing the ministry is so important. And again, it's not just standing up and preaching at people. It's, it's loving them, get sitting down on the sidewalk with them, you know, like Jesus did. And that's it, you know, and that's just cool. So the more you tell me about what the dream center is, you know, I just picture that, yeah. you know, and it's, it sounds really great. You're exactly right. And I, I, I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here and you can stop me if you want me to, but like, um, I tell that to people all the time when when uh, when I teach on uh, how to pray for the sick. Um, I'll get the question oftentimes, well, what if I pray and nothing happens? Well, you know, I can answer that pretty easily. So, it, it, you know, there's been plenty of people I've prayed for and nothing happened. And you know what their response is? Their response is, thank you so much for taking the time to pray for me. And they feel loved. Like even if nothing, of course we want to pray for people and see them healed. Of course we do. But like even when you step out, and things don't happen exactly the way you want them to happen. Just you stepping out like that, people feel loved. And there's not, there's nothing any more powerful than love, right? Love is, love is the most powerful force in the universe. And so you can't fail. That's what I tell people all the time. When you're, when you're sharing the gospel or you're praying for the sick, you can't fail. Even if you don't end up leading that person to the Lord or seeing them healed or seeing that miracle you prayed for, the person still feels loved, which is, an amazing thing in and of itself. So you can't lose when you do this stuff. Yeah. It reminds me of that DC talk song. It's an old one, but love is a verb. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, remember that song? Yeah. But the, it, exactly. Yeah. Love yeah. is, mm-hmm. it's not just saying I love you. It's showing like, that's what actually, again, you know, in my own life, um, when my wife and I, that was the reason I bring it up again is that was just in my life, a huge turning, yeah. you know, for us is I had to learn to show her. Yeah. I loved Amen. her. And you know, that, you know, and it's, it's not even just with her, it's with everyone around me. When you take the time to show people, like when I was doing the homeless ministry and little things, like you said, just little things like you telling that girl that Jesus loved her, you know, it was words, but the fact that you mm-hmm. took the time out of your day to say that to her, that was showing exactly. her, you know, I exactly. care about you. And, uh, you know, so anyway, yeah, like, so I wanted to, I wanted you to talk about what God has been doing as far as healing, um, mm-hmm. salvations, miracles, because I see it on your feed all the time on Facebook where like we pray for this gentleman's back or, or so-and-so. And I want you to share just maybe one or two that really stick out in your mind. And then also yeah. I wanted you to transition into what you were talking, what you told me before we started recording about how to pray and you kind of sure. touched on it. Yeah. So yeah, you want me to share a couple testimonies? Um, my goodness, I've got a million of them I could share off the top of my head. I'll just share one or two. Like you said, I'll share with you the most, this is something that that's like straight out of the book of Acts that I saw with my own two eyes. So um, this was probably 2012, and I didn't even have the Dream Center yet, but I was doing a lot of ministry. I was actually in full-time ministry, but, you know, different ministry. I was uh, on the board of a minis- another ministry called the Harrisburg Food Ministry. And as a board member, I wanted to be actively involved, and so I would participate once a month in, in the food distribution. And my job was to stand in front of the line and to offer to pray for you know, offer to pray for people as they came through the line. And so you had about a line of 150 people and um, probably about a hundred out of 150 would say yes to prayer. And uh, you had about 90 minutes to pray. So if you do the math, you have uh, what's that less than a minute to pray for each person. Okay. So <laughs> not, not a long time. <laughs> so uh, towards the end of the day, the, there was, you know, one of the last people in line came up to me and, uh, I asked him the same question that I had just asked, uh, you know, 150 other people. I said, Hey, is there anything you'd like me to pray for you today? And he looked at me and he pointed at his ears and he pointed at his mouth and he mumbled something in gibberish. And I didn't get it at first. I thought he was speaking Spanish or another language. Um, and so I just asked him again. I spoke a little bit slower. I said, you know, is there anything you would like me to pray for you today about? And then he kind of looked like he was a little frustrated with me. And he more emphatically pointed at his ears and then more emphatically pointed at his mouth. And it clicked. I was like, oh, this guy's deaf and mute. And so at that point in time, I don't think I had seen, I don't think I had seen anybody that was deaf or mute healed. I've seen that. I've seen uh, a lot of deaf people healed since then. But I think at that time, I don't think I had seen anybody that was deaf and mute healed. And so honestly, I can't tell you I was brimming with faith. I was basically, I basically had the mindset of, I'm going to give it a shot, you know? And so I laid my hands on his head and I just said, uh, in the name of Jesus, um, I think I said something like ears be opened and tongue be loosed and nothing happened. And I said that probably two more times and nothing happened. And as I said, I hadn't seen anything like that before. And so I was content, kind of content with giving it a shot. And I probably spent my minute, and uh, I, I was basically ready to uh, let the guy go to get his food. And just then the Holy Spirit spoke to me uh, loud and clear and said, cast out a deaf and mute spirit. <laughs> and uh, again, at that point in time, 
uh, I really didn't have much experience in the area of deliverance ministry either. And so same kind of mindset. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to give this a try. I just said, literally, in this tone of voice, I wasn't yelling, I wasn't screaming, you know, I, I don't know, you know, growing up, I wasn't always saved. And so I watched some some movies that I don't recommend. <laughs> and so I watched The, the Exorcist, right? And oh, I don't know if you've ever, ever, have you ever seen that movie or not? I've seen clips. I know much about it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's you know, the screaming, the girl on the ceiling, yes, the vomiting. Exactly. Her head spinning around, <laughs> vomiting. Yep. You know, the priest comes in with the crucifix and the holy water and it's hours of yelling and screaming and you don't know who's going to win the battle. I've done a lot of deliverance and it's never been like that. No, in, um, in the Bible it was never, never like that. You know, and, and so basically, uh, this is a pretty typical deliverance session. Okay. I said to the man in this tone of voice, I said, deaf and mute spirit come out. And as soon as I said that, the guy started manifesting. He started, basically he was, he was laughing hysterically. Uh, he was laughing like, uh, I had told him the, the funniest joke he'd ever heard. And after about 40 seconds of that, 45 seconds of that, he straightened up and he looked at me and he had this look of shock in his face. And he said, I can hear now. And then when he said, I can hear now, it's almost like he surprised himself because he actually said those words. I can hear now when he couldn't speak before. And so he said, I can hear now. Then he paused for a second. He goes, I can speak now. And then he said it again, except this time more excited. I can hear now. I can speak now. So he started running around telling everybody, I can hear now. I can speak now. I can hear now. I can speak now. And wow. so as wow. if we needed to test it out, I was with a good friend of mine that day. He was praying with me and he calls the guy over and he says, well, let's test this out. And so he starts whispering phrases in the guy's ear like Jesus loves me. And the guy would yell out, Jesus loves me. And I just got a kick out of it because it wasn't enough proof for my friend. I guess he had to test it out. But that guy was delivered and healed that day of, you know, a, a deaf and mute spirit. And he was completely healed. I saw him again the very next month. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what to say to him. I saw him coming down the line. And so I just blurted out the first thing, you know, I could think of. And I said, uh, do you remember me? And he, he looks at me with tears rolling down his face. And he said, how could I ever forget you? He said, you prayed for me and now I can hear and now I can speak. So that's that's something I saw, and that's that's one of the most dramatic things I've seen. That's literally straight out of the Book of Acts, <laughs> you know, wow. just pretty wild. But I've seen cancers healed. Um, I've seen. Uh, I guess I'll just share this one because it's right off the top of my head. This might not be the most dramatic, but there was a guy a couple years ago who came to the Dream Center, and he had a large cancerous tumor the size of his fist inside of his chest, and it was pressing up against his heart and his lungs and other organs, and. Uh, the doctors were obviously very concerned, and and so we we prayed for him and we declared healing over him. And then just a few weeks later, uh, he comes he comes back and he says, "You'll never believe this. I went to my next doctor's appointment after you prayed for me, and uh, the doctors examined me, did all their tests, and they said the tumor is completely gone. They have no explanation. They said the only thing they can see is there is this. Uh, it looks like a little bit of scar tissue where the tumor used to be. That's it." Wow. So, I mean, I can go on and on. You asked for two, so I'll stick with two, but I could go on and on and on. You know uh, what? Part of me, I want you to keep going on and on because this is like so encouraging. Um, sure. But just for time's sake, you know what? I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love to hear this though because like, yeah. you know, you just said maybe the second one's not so dramatic, <laughs> you know, but you know what? It is. And, and here's yeah. the other thing. Um, <clears throat> I may not have ever seen the, that kind of stuff, which I want to see that, you know, I want to mm -hmm. see 
that dramatic, like physical manifestation of healing. But um, there's a book I read by Ted Decker, I believe it was. It was called Blessed Child. Um, mm-hmm. He's one of my f- more favorite Christian authors, some of his b- works. But there's a line from the book, and I think it's very applicable. And it says, who's to say that a straightened hand is any more dramatic than a healed That's heart? Right. That's right. That's true. And Amen. you know what? I have seen the miracle, again, even in my own life of mm-hmm. hearts being healed and mended and, and, and uh, in other people's lives too. Um, you know, like when, when a sinner just comes and, and we're all sinners, you know, but when yeah. someone who doesn't know the Lord comes and repents and even like that, that girl who you said was a prostitute and you didn't yeah. even know, and you said that like to see someone's heart touched by the Lord, that is mm-hmm. also a miracle. And I have to remind myself, we can't forget about that because, you know, like I've desired to see, like I've heard stories, um, my late pastor, uh, you know what? Growing up, past my dad is a pastor, but he was the assistant for many years. Now he's the senior pastor. But the senior pastor at the time, um, at the church, he would go to India. My dad went with him many times. He did many missions trips overseas. Um, but I heard stories of like hands regrowing fingers and like crazy <laughs> stuff. You know that is amazing. Like I would love to see um, mm-hmm. that. But at the same time, you know, in the end, the flesh is all going to be burnt up and destroyed. But what remains is our right. soul. You know, and, and our heart, and and what, and that's actually the most important is on the inside. Um, however, again, I am just blown away by these stories because also, yeah. like, what, there's a reason why Jesus did the physical healing, so too, because it gets people's attention. It does, and yeah. and it shows the power of God is real. And so people might think, well, if the power of God is here, then why doesn't God do it all the time? Well, mm-hmm. there, like the disciples came to Jesus. I'm reminded of that story where they said, you know, we've been trying to cast a demon out of this boy and it's not working. And he's like, Oh, you have little faith, this faithless generation. You know, how long do I have to, you know, Jesus softly rebuked them because, you know, they just didn't have the faith. It's the kingdom of God is very complex, you know, but it's also so simple. Yep. But yeah, you're right. Just going back to something you said, I've, I've always said that the greatest miracle you can see is somebody being born again. You know, that is the greatest miracle. But yeah, I was just reminded of that. But so I want you, I want you to go into you mentioned about how the Lord told you how to pray for people. Yeah, yeah. So I was saved in August of 1999, just a couple, two or three years uh, before I went to went to Elam, and um, I've always been highly evangelistic. Um, the moment I received the Lord, I was sharing the gospel because my life was changed radically, so radically that. To me, I just wanted to let everybody know what God did for me and, you know, wanted them to experience the same thing. And so, you know, almost immediately I was out sharing the gospel with random strangers and, you know, just coworkers and friends and family members. And inevitably, when you're sharing the gospel with a lot of people, you're going to get a lot of people also asking for prayer and asking, you know, for, for, you know, prayer for sickness and disease and whatnot. And so from August of 1999 to September of 2010, I probably prayed for hundreds of people and never saw one person healed. And that was a source of frustration for me because I was leading a lot of people to the Lord, but um, I wasn't seeing anybody healed. And I believed that God could heal and that he wanted to use me to heal. Um, and so um, I was always frustrated by that. Um, but on Saturday, September 18th, 2010, which I didn't find out until after, but that was actually the, the Jewish Day of Atonement that year, which is kind of interesting. Saturday, September 18th, 2010, I had an experience, an encounter with the Lord uh, that revolutionized, um, you know, just kind of how I prayed for the sick. And basically, um, I'll, I'll try to sum it up and, in a, you know, kind of give you the short version of it. But 
um, I was getting ready for an outreach that I was leading that day. And, um, I was just listening to some worship music as I was getting ready. Just, um, and, and, you know, you know how sometimes you're in the middle of a worship service at church and you kind of feel the Lord's just kind of gentle presence and you might get a little teary eyed or something. That's kind of how it felt in my house. I could feel the presence of the Lord, but it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't anything abnormal at first anyway. But as time went on, as I was getting ready, uh, his presence grew stronger and stronger and stronger until it felt like a thousand pounds of weight was on my back and I couldn't stand up. And uh, I didn't learn this till afterwards. But if you actually look um, at the Hebrew word um, for glory, as in the glory of the Lord, it's the word kabod, which means a weighty presence. And so I'm convinced that that's what I was experiencing that day was I believe that I had an encounter with the glory of the Lord. And so I felt like there's a thousand pounds uh, of weight on my back. And, um, you know, again, sometimes in worship, you make a decision to, to go down on bended knee before the Lord or on your face before the Lord. This wasn't a decision I made. This was I was going down because it literally felt like I had a thousand pounds and I could not stand up. And so I went down on the um, I was in my kitchen and we have a hardwood floor and I went face down and I, I felt like I was being crushed into the ground, literally crushed into the ground. It wasn't a pleasant experience. I'm just going to be honest with you. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't fun. I was actually felt like I was being crushed. And and I felt like on one hand that I wanted more of God's presence. But on the other hand, I knew that I, I had as much of his presence that I could handle physically. My physical body could not handle anymore. And that if he gave me any more, I'd die. Like literally. That's kind of how I felt. Um, and so I was weeping uncontrollably. Uh, just one of those ugly cries, lots of snot, lots of tears. Um, I, I was shaking and I'm not one. I'm not, uh, like I, I'm not against manifestations, but I'm not one that like, I don't know. I, I don't make them up. You know what I'm saying? Like if they happen, great, but I'm not, I don't actively pursue like crazy experiences or manifestations. And so, um, uh, I was shaking. I was sweating. Uh, I was bawling my eyes out. And God hadn't even spoke to me yet. I just felt his presence. And so uh, after a couple minutes or so, uh, I heard the Lord speak to me loud and clear. And he said, now this part at first, it was a little confusing. So I'm going to have to explain it. But he said to me, when you go to your outreach today, I don't want you to pray for the sick. That's what he said to me. I don't want you to pray for the sick. And we had this conversation where I'd have a thought and he'd respond to me. And so my next thought was, well, how am I going to see people healed if I don't pray for them? I was confused. And so the Lord basically said to me, how's that been going for you so far? And I said, okay, you're right. I prayed for hundreds of people over the past 11 years, and I've never seen one person healed. And so this is what he said to me. He quoted an Old Testament scripture to me. He quoted Isaiah 50, uh, 53 verses 4 through 5. And he said, by my stripes, they were healed. And actually, it says, by my stripes, they are healed. But First Peter 2.24, quoting that verse, puts it in the past tense. It says, by my stripes, they were healed. So, in other words, God spoke to me, and he said, um, stop begging me and asking me to do something I've already done. In other words, I've already paid the price for healing. Even before Jesus went to the cross to, be, uh, to, to pay the price for sin, he, I was whipped and beaten and paid, paid the price for healing. The price has already been paid. Just like the price for salvation was paid 2,000 years ago, the price for your healing has been paid, and it was paid 2,000 years ago on the whipping post. So I was begging. I was praying like 99% of Christians pray. 
I was when when people would come to me and ask me to pray for healing, I would I would I would pray how 99% of people pray. Lord Jesus, would you please heal this person's broken arm? I would beg God. I would plead with God, please heal this person's arm, and nothing would happen. But he was challenging me that day. He was saying, don't beg me and ask me to do something I've already done. Like, think about it for a second. If God's already paid the price, if he's already accomplished everything he needs to accomplish on the whipping post for people to be healed, why would we ask him to heal when he's already done it? And so he he challenged me to make a shift from praying, begging, and asking to declaring what he's already done over people. And so, and that's basically what he said to me. Stop praying and asking me to do something I've already done. Just declare over people what I've already done. And so that day I got up. First of all, I had to ask God to lift his presence, which sounds weird. But I said, God, I can't even lead an outreach because I can't even get up off the ground right now. And I said, I need you to lift your presence so I can get up and lead this outreach. And he lifted his presence, but it was just enough for me to get up and go to the outreach. And But for the next 24 hours, I was shaking, trembling. I just bust out bawling spontaneously. And I felt the heavy, weighty presence of God all over me. And I saw my first person healed that day. You know, I'll never forget it. It was a guy limping down the street. He could hardly walk and uh, asked him what was going on. He said he had uh, just horrific back issues. And I declared healing over him. And uh, he, he, he was hunched over and he straightened up. And he had all of his pain left and he walked away without a limp. And that was the first pers- person I ever saw healed. So, so I, I, mean, I could go into more of that, but yeah, I, um, I, I don't know. I got to ask you, like, so how do you yeah. declare healing? Yeah. Like, uh, just guide me through it. Yeah, sure. So, okay. So basically, um, this is typically what I'll do. So um, say somebody comes up to me. We'll just use a, use a simple example of back issues. Um, so say somebody comes up to me and um, they say they have back problems. I will ask them, what, what is your pain level right now? Give me a, give me an idea of how much pain you're in on a scale of zero to 10. And they'll tell me, say they say a six. Okay. So, um, and, and, and so I kind of like do a before test and then I minister over them and then I do an after, after test. So say they say a six and then I'll ask them, is there anything you can't do right now because of your back issues? Another example would be, okay, so I can't bend down and touch my toes. Okay. So they got a pain level six. They can't bend down to touch their toes. And then so I'll minister to them. This is how I minister to them. I declare healing over them. So it's not a formula. It's, it's, it's about using your authority. Okay. Using the authority that God has given every believer. Okay. Um, and so it's, 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 I guess an example would be, um, in the name of Jesus, I command all pain to go right now. Go. You speak to the pain. You speak to the problem about God. You don't speak to God about the problem. So, so you speak to the problem about God. So in the name of Jesus right now, I command all pain to go. You have to leave this man's body now in Jesus name. Uh, uh, I command full mobility to be, re- be restored right now in Jesus name. By his stripes, you were healed. It's already done. It's already over. It's finished in Jesus name. Be healed now. And then, so I'll say something like that. Just again, it's not a formula. That's just an example. And then I'll ask him, okay, test it out. Do something you couldn't do before. So again, before they had a pain level six. They couldn't touch their toes. So now they have no pain. They bend over. They touch their toes. You know, that's just an example. I mean, um, there are times where I've noticed the healing comes in stages. And there is actually one biblical example of that happening where Jesus prayed for the blind man, ministered to the blind man. And at first it said he saw people, but they looked like trees. And then so Jesus ministered to him again, and then he was completely healed. So I've noticed that there are times 
where it's like, okay, take the same example, a man who has a pain level six in his back, uh, and you minister to him and it goes down to a pain level four. Okay. Then you minister to him again, it goes down to a two. You minister to him again, it goes down to a zero. So sometimes it can happen in stages. Sometimes nothing happens, but then the next day they'll contact you and say that, Hey, I woke up this morning and all the pain's gone. Um, so yeah. That, yeah, it's about it. declaring, commanding. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. Proverbs eighteen twenty one um, yeah. is is a, a one scripture, but it's about using your your the, your God given power and authority that that He has given us. So you know that that's and you know what that is scriptural. Like I mm-hmm. I know that there's you know it says that Jesus gave them authority. Yes, over, exactly over the demons and the and the spirits and the sickness, and that's why the disciples were like. So they're like, oh Jesus, look at we're casting all these demons out, and they're they're, they're listening to us. And he's like, you know, don't yes. rejoice just in that though, but rejoice that your names are found in the book of life. So like, yeah. I think Jesus was like, he's not trying to like rain on their parade, but he's saying, you know what? That's awesome that you've realized you have the authority, but don't forget the eternal soul is what's most mm-hmm. important. You know, having yeah. that name, like we were saying, you know, a, a straightened hand is awesome. Like someone having their body healed. Like, I want to see more of that. I would love to do that. Like, I want God to work through me. I only pray one day that I'll be able to, I want to take that authority, you know, like you're saying. And that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Um, so one thing really quick. I just want to throw this in there. Uh, if you read through the New Testament, if you read through the Gospels and the Book of Acts, there's about 40. I might be off by a couple. So 40, give or take encounters where Jesus or the, the apostles heal the sick, not one time do they pray and ask God to heal. Not one time did Jesus ever say, Father, would you please heal this person? Not one time did the apostles ever say, Jesus, would you please heal this person? Never, ever, ever in the Gospels or the book of Acts does Jesus or the apostles ever pray and ask God to heal. Yet that's how most Christians pray. They pray and ask God to heal. But that's not that's not given by the example of Jesus or the apostles. What do they do? They say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. They command, they declare, and the people get up and walk. The paralyzed are healed. Yeah, they, you know? they always commanded it. They never asked. Yep. Yep. You know what? That, exactly. And, and that's the thing is like when you like deputize someone, like a sheriff gives a deputy authority, you know, in their badge, it's like you're not going to ask the criminals, hey, would you please come and get in exactly. my police car? You know, the police don't say to the criminals, come on over here. I got candy in the back of my police car. Like they don't, that's they it. take authority, at least they used to. Um, yeah. Nowadays, it's, we live in a very, up, upside down society, but right. you, they grab them, they put them on the ground if they have yep. to, and they put they take authority. That is what exactly. authority, and the authority is not always yelling and shouting. Authority is yep. just the certainty of knowing that you yep. have dominion, you have the power, and it's yep. not. And now in our case, we know that the power, just like the police officers, the power is not necessarily theirs. It comes from the government giving them mm-hmm. that authority. Because if I put on a police officer outfit and I go out and start doing <laughs> that, I'm going to get drug <laughs> drug away right. in jail. And and that's kind of like the seven sons of Sceva. You know, they said, yes. they said, you know, in the name of the God that Paul worships, be gone. And they said, Paul, we know, God, we know, but we don't know you. And then the, exactly. the spirits wrecked them. And that's the same mm-hmm. analogy. If I put on a police officer costume, they're going to think I'm nuts and I'm yep. going to get arrested for impersonating a police officer because I don't have the authority of the federal government backing me. But just mm-hmm. like, so like what you're saying, this is where I see it in practical terms is God gives you the authority. You are deputized through him to exercise power over these infirmities, these sicknesses, these demons. And you know what? That I think is a huge part of what we're missing in America. Mm-hmm. You know what? And, and, and it's just, you know, and, and I was also, I, because I named this podcast primal Christianity because primal, the, the meaning of it is the origin or the roots or what, you know, where something came from, you know, we call about primal earth, like the origin of earth and all that and stuff. 
at least in science, science they do. We know where it came from. Um, God created the earth. But, mm-hmm. you know, so primal Christianity, it's what are the roots of our faith and what are we yeah. missing nowadays Where from where the church came from? And when you're talking about your experience with God where you're just like waited, um, I thought of that song, uh, oh goodness, I can't think of his name, but it's let the weight of your glory cover us. I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard that song. It's a great song. Um, Paul Wilbur. Okay. And it's, it's a really great song, very worshipful. And it, you know, it reminded me of Moses, you know, when he mm-hmm. was up, God said, you cannot look at my face or you will die. Like mm-hmm. Moses was in like experienced that very similar situation. And it said that he was so inundated, but when he came down, he had to wear a veil over his face because he was glowing before the people from, yeah. the pres- from being in the presence of God for so long, you know, and that that's awesome though, because I know when you were saying about the music, like there's times where we've put worship music on in our house and, um, you know, I've had those experiences where, you know, maybe not, not so dramatic as yours, which, but you can just feel, you know, you know, the presence yes. of God and you just, you weep and you just are, you're in a way it's like, it was it Jeremiah or Isaiah said, I am undone. Yeah. I, I don't I think it was Isaiah, but Isaiah. I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah I, am, I am undone, you know, just because yeah. when you are faced with a pure, holy God, like you said, yeah. it's not always a pleasant situation. No. Because you realize your own wretchedness and the whole, the pure holiness of God. Yeah. I'll share really quick another revelation that I got um, that really helped me as far as healing the sick is concerned. When I was at Elam back in the early 2000s and up until around 2010, I always believed that healing was an ability that I had to earn somehow. I, I, I felt like I had to fast enough or I had to pray enough or I had to be a good enough person in order to earn this ability to heal the sick. And so when I had that mindset, I prayed for hundreds of people and didn't have one person, didn't see one person healed. It wasn't until I got the revelation, which was this, this, I got this revelation right before the encounter that I had on September 18th, 2010, like literally probably like the month before I got the revelation that it's not about obtaining any ability. There's nothing like the gifts of God, like healing. He, he doesn't give people gifts based on how good you are. He doesn't give you a gift based on how much you prayed or fasted. As a born again believer, you already, you're, you're born again with that ability. You already have it within you. And so I, I had to, I, I had to have this, um, I, I had to have this shift in perspective from I'm trying to earn this ability to I already have this ability. And once I started recognizing that I, not only me, but I believe every believer can lay hands on the sick. Mark 16, 15 through 18 says believers can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. It doesn't say pastors, evangelists, prophets, apostles, or some you know special anointed person that God handpicks for some reason. It says believers. I am a firm believer that every believer already has the ability to heal the sick. So, so think about this. If you don't think you have the ability to heal the sick, you're not going to have the faith it takes to heal the sick because you don't believe you have the ability. But you've got to realize that this is, that's part of it is you've got to already, you've got to recognize that you already have the ability. You already have the ability. So Micah, you have the ability. Anybody that's a believer in Jesus Christ, according to Mark chapter 16, 15 through 18 and, uh, uh John 14, 12, which says those who believe in me can do the, can do the same things that I do. You know, and Jesus obviously went around and healed, healed the sick and did all sorts of miracles. And Jesus is saying, those who believe in me can do this stuff, you know? And so it's about knowing and understanding 
what you already have on the inside of you. And so you've already, according to First Peter, you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Does healing ha- pertain to life? Yes, you've been given the ability to heal the sick. Um, and so that's a big part of it too, is I, I had to make that shift from thinking I had to earn this ability somehow um, to recognizing, wait a second, no, I've already had this ability. I've had it all along. I've wow. always had the ability to heal the sick. You know, you're describing me to a T. <laughs> Yeah. Like I have felt that exact way so many times. And you know what? Like I am so like right now you've got me riled up in a good way. (laughs) I'm like, I am very encouraged by this. And, you know, I hope people listen to this and I can like, because man, this is good stuff. And this is everything you're saying. I'm like the scriptures are going through my head because Mm -hmm. like, I like to be like a Berean, you know, um, one of Mm -hmm. my favorite teachers, um, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's passed away now. His name was Dr. Chuck Missler. And, yeah, I've heard of Chuck. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I love him. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he was such a great anointed man. And he, I used to love to say he, he he said, don't listen to the gospel according to me. And I'm loosely paraphrasing him. But he said, don't listen to Chuck Missler. He's like, go home and open your Bible and read it for mm-hmm. yourself. And that's why I loved him, because he pointed people back to the Bible, to God. You know, he did. Yeah. You know, he would share his conjectures, as he used to say, or his opinions. But you know what? Um, I, the things that you're saying are resonating in my spirit and I can feel them. And you know what? It's truth. And I know I'd share that story earlier about how the disciples say, you know, we can't cast this demon out. And Jesus did say there are some that can only come out by prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. But th- that's like, you know, I think in certain scenarios, you know, but like you said, there was that you don't need to have some special event. You know, you just need to realize yeah who you are in Christ. That's it. And you yep. need to realize your authority. We are sons of God and daughters yes. of God. We are priests and kings. We are, you know, God has, you know, like and like you were saying earlier, when God told you that I've already done it, you know what? It came into my head, Jesus on the cross saying, it is finished. Yeah, that's the work it. is done. And you know what? Man, I'm getting tearful. <laughs> I'm like getting Let all... me. Is it okay if I share one more scripture? Yeah, one more. And then we got to close it up. Okay. So we're not yeah, I know but... we're getting close to that time. So just one more scripture. Oh, go ahead. Um, so... I, I believe it's Mark 13. I think it's 35 through 39. I might be off on the reference. I'm pretty sure it's Mark 13. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. But Jesus shares a parable with his disciples. And in this parable, he talks about a man that goes on a far off journey. And when he leaves the house and he goes on this far off journey, he leaves his, his, uh, he leaves the servants in the house authority, authority to rule over the house. Okay. So this is the meaning of the parable. Okay. Jesus is the owner of the house, all right? And, and the far-off journey that he went on, it, it happened after, after he went to the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended. So Jesus is actually talking about the period of time in between the ascension and his return, okay, in this, in this parable. So he's talking about the times we're living in right now, okay, right now, 2023. He's talking about right now. And, and what does it say? It says he leaves his uh, servants, the servants of the house, which symbolizes the world and the servants symbolize believers. He leaves the servants of, of, of the house, his authority. Okay. Now check this out. The word authority in the Greek is the word exousia. Exousia means three things, power, ability, and authority. So in other words, when Jesus ascended to heaven and, 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 and in between the time of his ascension and the time of his return, which is the times that we're living in right now, Jesus left us, his believers, his power, his authority, and his ability. So going back to John 14, 12, which is a pretty crazy verse because it says those who believe in Jesus can do the same things he did. 
and even greater things than he did. Well, how can we do the same things Jesus did? Because he left us his power, his ability, and his authority until he returns. So every believer has the same ability, same power, same authority as Jesus. We just don't know it. That's why we can't operate in it. Because we got to, as Romans 12 says, we got to renew our minds. That's how we're transformed. That's how we, that's how we begin to, to kind of walk in who we are, is we need to renew our minds to these truths. But Jesus left us his power, his ability, and his authority. So that's how we can do these things. And every believer has it within them. Wow. You know what? <laughs> I could just talk to you forever. To be honest. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to have to say for now, we're going to have to like cut it short because I sure. honestly, I want to have you back on here again. Sure. Because we need, be great. we need to continue talking about this because this is great. Yeah. And, um, you know what? There's so many things I'd love to add on to this because, um, I, I'm going to be preaching tomorrow at my church mm-hmm. and, um, then next week I'm going to be traveling to Buffalo and, uh, preaching in my parents' church, um, as a, just as a guest speaker. And mm-hmm. the one thing that's been on my heart lately, and it was actually inspired by a post on Facebook by another pastor who I know, um, talking about like yoga. And mm-hmm. I want to get into how it is such a deception and we as Christians should have no part in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, and you may be wondering why am I bringing this up? Because, you know, like you were saying, we have the authority, we have all these things, but we forget because, um, unfortunately in, in this modern church we live in, especially in America, and I, I'm not trying to be hard on America, but we are so spoiled here. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just frustrates me to see some of the things about churches and things going on. And I'm not saying I have it all together. I don't, mm-hmm. but you see churches that are blatantly teaching false things, false doctrines. They're allowing the world to come into the church and we mm-hmm. are absorbing in pagan beliefs, pagan rituals, pagan practices into our churches and allowing them to go on under the guise of, Oh, it's Christian. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that takes away your authority. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. quenches the spirit of God before, before you know it, you're just operating as a country club. You're a social club yeah. with people who say they're Christians. And I like to say this to people just because I stand in a garage and, and go vroom, vroom, beep, beep. That doesn't make me a right. car. You know, and, and, and my uncle is also a pastor down in the Philly area. And one thing that he says that I really like is with God, you're either on one side of the fence or you're on the other. If you sit on the fence, you're going to get hemorrhoids. <laughs> you know, you, you can't, awesome. you, like Jesus said, you're either hot or you're cold. Yeah. Amen. And, um, it, it's just crazy, you know? And, and, and again, I, I feel conviction of these things because I allow things of the world to get into my life sometimes, you know, and take my focus off of what really matters. And none of us are truly perfect, but I'm striving. And I, Richie, I can tell you are too. We're all striving. We're, tr- we're going on that journey to uncover the things of God. And it says in the Bible, I, again, I may not be quoting this 100%, but it is God who conceals a manner, but it is the honor of kings to search it out. Mm, and, you amen. Know, and, and you know what? I am, I want to be like Sherlock Holmes. I want to uncover mm-hmm. the things of God. And you know what? Today, um, through what you said, I really feel like we, you know, at least in my life, you're helping me uncover some things that I've had questions about. And I am so glad. Amen. That I, I know the Lord had me reach out to you because, yeah. again, I told you before we started recording, I felt like, I'm like, man, ever since I started my last podcast, which, like I said, has gone dormant and I started this new one here, um, I'm like, man, I want to reach out to Richie. Yeah. I really should because I've seen all these things that you're doing, that the Lord is doing through you, I should say. Um, and it's just, it's so encouraging. And, uh, mm-hmm. anyways, just to, uh, yeah, because I really want to keep going, but just like, <laughs> again, like let's just uh, yeah. uh, close it for this session. But definitely, I want to get back with you again. Um, but just for closing remarks, uh, what is the best way people can contact you if they're you know? And do you accept internships? And um, also, like 
if someone wanted to send you support, whether it be prayer or financial or something, or they wanted to be involved with you in your ministry, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, you can reach out to me. Um, I'm going to give you, I have a couple email addresses. I'm going to give you the, the, the shortest, easiest one. Um, so uh, sent ones, and I'll spell that out in a second, but sent ones 11 at gmail.com. That's S E N T O N E S, the number 11 at gmail.com. So you can email me. And then uh, we also have a website, www.capitalareadc.org. And you can learn more about our website. You can learn more about our ministry through the website. And also we have a donate page. Uh, you can donate through, uh, you know, check or, or PayPal either way. So I appreciate that, Micah. All right. And also, do you, do you accept, um, like, do, can people come and help you there or do internships? Oh, yes. or? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so, um, I'd be happy to talk about an internship, um, if you are interested in doing that. And, uh, you know, if you want to volunteer, if you live in the Harrisburg PA area, um, definitely reach out to me. We definitely need volunteers. Um, as far as an internship is concerned, I'm definitely open to discussing that. Um, or we've also had youth groups come in, you know, from out of state, you know, for a week at a time and, you know, do service projects and, you know, outreaches and things like that. So if that's ever an interest, uh, you know, that that's, you know, we'd love to discuss that with you as well. So. All right. Great stuff. Well, thank you for coming on with me, Richie. And I'm just, we're just going to end it here. So everyone um, just want you to be encouraged um, and know that God still is working. God's word is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing even between soul and spirit. And God is still working today, and he can work through you just as much as he can work through us. So I just want to say God bless you, everyone, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.